How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Eucalypt Speed Test Intelligence Data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. I'm Matt Cerrone from MetsBlog.com, and you're listening to The Jake Brown Show. And welcome to The Jake Brown Show. CBS Radio is played on it. iTunes and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter. At Jake Brown Show and follow me at Jake Brown Radio. Never a bad time to talk about the Mets, especially when they're very bad, as they are right now, um, with a guy who is actually, I think, the first guest that I've ever had in in my career, I guess you could say, uh, 2012 on uh, AM 1240 WGBB. It's Matt Cerrone, the basically the creator of Mets Blog, and he's a lead writer there, and now he's working with sports content and he also is an author you can get new york mets fans bucket list out now matt good to talk to you again how you doing i'm doing good jake how's it going it's going well it's hectic as we discussed but but yeah, yeah, we're, yeah. we're alive and that's what matters and uh of right. course as prayers to houston i mean we're, we're doing better than there and we'd love to see i mean jj watt raising now five to six million dollars um for houston so prayers are with them um, prayers are with Mets fans as well, and and what we've gone through. I mean, Jose Reyes is starting in left field. Matt, why not call up Tebow at this point? Yeah, well, look, I mean, it's easy to goof on on it, but the 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 reality with Reyes, it's it's interesting. Like if if he actually can play a little bit of left field, you know, maybe they want to bring him back next year, like that super utility guy that can play left, that can play second, that can play short, can play third. Like, if you know he can play the outfield, I mean, they laughed at Ben Dobris when he went out there, and, like, that's, he spent most of his time there, um, you know, his first year with the Cubs. So, I mean, it's if he can do it, great. Um, I'd rather know that uh, going into the offseason when Reyes is a free agent to know if, like, he's worth considering as opposed to not because, yeah, I mean, I hear you. Like, it's not really the ideal youth movement when you've got Jose Reyes in left, but at the same time, the Mets intend to contend next year. They still have the same pitching staff. Hopefully, they'll be healthy. They've got a you know they saw Camille as a closer. They're going to have uh, you know Rosario and Smith for a full year. I mean, I think they have every intention of of making a run with the Nationals. And if that's the case, you know you want to know what you have and what you need. And if Reyes is going to play a factor, then it helps to know that. Yeah, and I think uh, Terry's kind of like pulling names out of a hat and putting guys here and there um, at this point. And I guess you got to see what you have and. You're right. I think they will contend next year, and there's a lot of money coming off the books. You have to imagine, Matt, that they're going to put a lot of money into the bullpen. The bullpen has been a weakness, and we know they traded a lot of uh, rentals to get relievers for the farm system that you see maybe a Callahan and guys like that, and uh, Drew Smith will come up at some point. Do you think they do put a lot of money in this bullpen and try to set up for Ramos and Familia and make that a strong point? I think they will. Uh, you know, they've got a bunch of spots, frankly. And finally, and we, you know, we've been saying that every offseason for quite a while, but for the first time in, in, in as far as I can remember, they've got a pretty good chunk of change coming off the books. And depending on what happens to David Wright, could be more. So, you know, it's, you're looking probably at $60, $70 million that they will free up in free agents uh, this, this current season. But they could conceivably put back into the into the team for 2018. So you know whether they'll do that max capacity, we'll we'll see. 
But if they intend to, yeah, that's a that's a good uh, number to work with, say the least. And and they've got to do something at second. They're going to have to do something in the outfield, maybe even in two spots, depending on on what Conforto's situation is with his his injury. Um, you know, obviously you mentioned the bullpen. Third base clearly is not is is an obstacle. So. You know they've got Sandy Alderson has his work cut out. You can even take catcher is is something that they want to address. So there's no shortage of areas to spend money on, and the bullpen clearly is one of them. And I think it's why doing what he did by acquiring essentially all young under contract, in some cases very young, in some cases like Ramos, uh, you know, experienced relievers that they can at least have in the system and have you know to work with going into the offseason that they, they know they've got under contract, and then they can go out and get another couple veterans. I don't think there's a lot of big free agent uh, relievers this year uh, worth signing to, to long-term deal. So, you know, I'm not sure how they'll approach it. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think that's got to be an area. You know, Familia essentially missed an entire season. I mean, yeah, he pitched a little bit, but, I mean, for the most part, you know, he was out all year. So you don't really know what, what he's going to be doing. Um you know, Blevins is under contract. That's great. Mm-hmm. Ramos has been okay. You know, you got to see some some stuff out of, you know, um, Bradford and Paul Seawald and a couple other guys, you know. So I, I think it's going to be a work in progress. All bullpens are. I, I can't remember the last time someone left the offseason really confident about their bullpen and then it panned out. Usually it comes out of nowhere like the Yankees. So, you know, it's that's the way it is, and I think that'll be the approach again this year. And uh Praise to God. I'll, I'll put one finger in the sky that Hansel Robles is not on the team next year. I'll, I'll do that pointer finger like he always does for balls that are hit 500 feet. Um, you mentioned David Wright. Now, I know you, you talk time to time with David Wright. David Wright rehabbed for three days, and he's done for, He's done for. I mean, it, it's got to be time to retire for him. Have you spoken to him, and do you think he should just call it quits? Um, I haven't talked to him. I, you know, exchange random text messages here and there. I, I have no idea what what his, where his head is at and what he's thinking. I mean, he's got a lot to go over. It's, you know, I've written about it endlessly on Mets blog this week. Um, you know, the decision is his. The fact is, he's under contract for three more years. Thankfully, from the Mets perspective, his his salary actually goes down, uh, which I think was a, a stroke of genius on both of their parts when they negotiated that contract years ago. Um, you know, so he goes from twenty to fifteen to twelve. That'll make sort of, you know, figuring out an exit strategy probably a little bit easier. So, you know, I don't know where he's at. Um, you know, it looks to me, and I, I talked to uh, earlier this week, I talked with people that know him that were former teammates, people with the Mets, some agents, different, just kind of took a survey, some reporters. You know, the, the consensus I got really was that depending on what the results of this uh, current shoulder exam that he's going to have done you know if they if they determine he needs surgery again or he's going to miss another six months or something i think that probably would be the motivator to call it quits um if they say you're it's fine it's just still pain still need rest still need anti-inflammatories whatever etc you know i wouldn't be surprised if he pushes it again and tries to come back next spring and then maybe from there if it doesn't work uh, you know, but either way, my understanding was prior to this this little experiment that went on in the minor leagues that the Mets and he agreed to have a conversation in September to talk about, you know, where's this going? You know, what what's next? How's this going to play out? What does he want? What do they want? And just have a really, you know, a realistic, uh, meaningful conversation, uh, you know, not based in hope and, and wishes, but actual, you know, what, what are we doing? 
uh, type of discussion, and then this, this transpired. And I think part of that conversation was seeing what he could do during this minor league rehab assignment, and if it didn't work out, you know, we'll see where it goes. My, my hunch is probably isn't playing a year from now. Uh, when he actually pulls the cord, I, I don't know. It could be this week. It could be in spring training. It could be next summer. But, you know, I, I think it's pretty clear that his body is just not allowing him to do what he wants to do. And as someone who I'm not a professional athlete, but I know at 41, mm-hmm. uh, you know, when it goes, it goes quick. So um, I wish him the best of luck. He's an awesome guy. He's going to do great no matter what he does, um, whether it's manage or be an advisor or do something in investing. Um, you know, he's got a lovely wife, an awesome daughter. That's one, you know, he's got millions of dollars in the bank. Like he can call it, he can call it quick and be fine. Uh, but he loves baseball. And so you can't blame him for trying. Follow Matt Cerrone on Twitter, at Matthew Cerrone. Get New York Mets fans at bucket list. Now, yeah, and uh, you root for him. I mean, the captain, a guy who, if he was at his full, I mean, at his full self, who knows, maybe the Mets are a much better team this year. Probably not, but uh, and maybe he's part of next year. Now you start thinking about, like, a Mike Moustakas as a free agent if the Royals don't yeah. bring him back uh, as, as filling in there. Um, is it unrealistic? Because, I mean, you know, I've co-hosted uh, the Mets podcast with you, and you see on Twitter, I despise Terry Collins, and I, I think it's pretty much a lock <laughs> that he, he is not back next season. Is it unrealistic to think that the Mets go the player-to-manager route and make right the manager next year? I think it's unrealistic. Okay. Um, I just, I, I don't think eventually. It wouldn't shock me if David Wright was their manager one day. Mm-hmm. Um, I could totally see that. And I could see it actually sooner than later because he loves the game that much. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I, I, you know, it's not going to be next year just because. And look, I, I agree with you. I, I think it's time for Terry to go. And I think it is going to be time that he goes. Like, I, I don't think he'll be back. But I don't think it'll be right in that seat. I think that's a lot to ask of. I mean, look, we know he knows the game of baseball. He's never managed before. He's never led in that way. Um, you but know, we do see guys time. transition quick as their careers end. We've seen it. Agreed, I mean, saw with Girardi. Agreed. Not, I mean, it's rare that it's the next season on the same mm-hmm. team. You, you know, that, that, that to me is a lot to ask. Mm-hmm. They're not in experimental mode. Like, they got to win. They, yeah. they have a limited window here with this, this guy. This is not it. I could see going to right if this current, like if the Cindergaard DeGrom, uh, Conforto kind of, you know, arc, you know, fizzles out and doesn't make it and they have to rebuild again. I could see somebody like Wright being an awesome call. Um, but right now it just doesn't, you know, I think they're going to go, especially Sandy Alderson. He, he wants, look, the, uh, you can agree with this or disagree with it. It's the way baseball is going. This isn't a Mets thing. It's a baseball thing. And every one of these GMs is going with the sort of button pushing by the book, kind of suit and tie, you know, in a baseball uniform manager. It's just where the game is right now. And I'm sure the Mets are going to go that route as well. Uh, that's not being right, at least not yet. And you don't know because you've never done it. So I, I just don't see them going to him at this, this point. I do, however, love the role. If, if he were to retire before next season, I, before spring training, frankly, I love the idea of putting him in a role like the Twins did with Kadire and Torrey Hunter and a couple other guys, which is sort of this, like, pre- and post-game advisory role to players. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Kadire is available during home games, during spring training. I don't think they're on the road with them. They're not in uniform, but they're at the ballpark. They're working with guys. They're almost like this auxiliary coach that's like knows the player experience because they were just on the team a few years ago. And, you know, it's, it's this person to sort of, you know, talk with, and it's like psychology and hitting 
coach, whatever it is. Like, and I think that'd be an awesome role for him. He's the captain. He could still be the captain. You're not the manager. You're not a coach. You're not in the dugout, but you still have a role and you still play, you know, uh, a factor with how these guys develop. And I, I could see him doing that. And that would actually be a really nice first step, I think, towards towards a career in, in management for him. So who are the suit and tie guys, as you said? I mean, give me a couple candidates that are realistic that the Mets go after. Well, there's Dick Scott that's on the bench, and I pray mm-hmm. that he is not one of them. I, I don't know Dickie Scott. I talked to him a few times when he was with the, in the minors. He's this smart guy. I just, you know, I always feel like when you're going to turn the page like that, if you're going to bring in a new manager, you've got to let him bring in his own, you know, bring in somebody new, you know, a new crew. Then give me some new voices. And that includes Dan Warfin. And that includes not bringing Dick Scott into the mix. And if Terry's going to go, you, that's just the move you make. So, but I, I think you'll hear his name. You know, I think uh, Bob Melvin, I think you're going to hear probably Chip Hale, who I wouldn't describe as a cute and tie guy, but I know Sandy Alderson loved him. You know, former Marine, uh, he was popular with Wright and a lot of the the guys back when he was with the Mets. He's, you know, loud, he's vocal, he's also insanely intelligent. He knows the game as well as anybody. He's terrific with the infielders. Um, You know, I could see him uh, being in the mix as well. You know, I think it's going to be that sort of list. I, I think it's going to be a lot of the guys, frankly, that you heard when they hired Terry, um, and not including Wally Backer. I think that ship is sailed, uh, yeah, so done. nobody bring him up. Uh, you know, if, every, if anybody was the opposite of, of the type of guy that I think Major League Baseball is looking for these days, it's unfortunately Wally Backman, but, um, and Sandy Alderson included. So I, I think those are sort of the names you're going to hear um, you know, we'll see how it goes. And I like Bob Melvin. He's a guy I thought, instead of hiring Terry, I thought they should have hired Bob Melvin um, back in uh, when it was 2009. Well, you know, when you, go back to, uh, when you go back to 2010, it was after that season. If, if you go back and remember where the franchise was, they want, he, he was with the organization as the minor league um, coordinator. Mm-hmm. And I think what they envisioned for him was, and it made sense, was sort of this old-school baseball guy that kind of could talk the game, had a bunch of experiences, knew a lot of these young players that were going to be coming through the system, coming to the big leagues. You know, he was he knew Syndergaard, or I shouldn't say Syndergaard, he knew Harvey, he knew uh, a lot of these young kids that were kind of playing their way through because he had managed them, or not managed them, he had, you know, been on the fields with them and, and been in St. Lucie, and while he wasn't a coach necessarily, he was in that back, you know, those back offices at St. Lucie doing his job uh, in the organization. And so I think that was partly why they wanted him. I think they liked this idea that it was a lifer that could sort of tend the garden and babysit these guys as they kind of matured. It just so happens. I think they won a little earlier than they expected mm-hmm. and it made it difficult to move on from him. And so I, you know, if you read the book, the, the biography that uh, Alderson did baseball Maverick, he talked very openly in there about how they considered letting Terry go a bunch of times. Um, it just never was the right time, and, and you've got fans in, in the Wilpons, and it just kind of played itself out. Um, but here we are, and now it's time, and I think the ownership knows it, and I think all the fans know it, and Sandy clearly knows it, and it's just, and I think Terry knows it too. So, I mean, it's just it's time to, to move on. Listen, you wrote New York Mets fans' bucket list. If, when Terry is gone, and he hopefully is, I would write Terry Collins was the reason I drank and do a, a, probably oh, a 300 page book about his run with the Mets. Um, so we'll, we'll see how that ends. Uh, is Sandy Alsher going to be back? His contract is up. Do you expect uh, the Wilpons to bring him back? I do. I do. I think they, they love him. I think he's done exactly what they wanted when they hired him, which is essentially, you know, redo their business model with the Mets. Um, you know, reorganize the farm system, reorganize the front office. I mean, he did a lot more than what we saw on field, 
um, that was important, staggered contracts, got them kind of got their financial house in order a little bit in terms of how player salaries and the in the front office and the minor leagues and everything is structured. And you know, you see with the results on the field, that obviously they they brought up some the young talent. I think he's made some good trades, some bad trades, but I think the organization for the most part is a foundation is in a good spot. It's the it's the way some of these guys have been injured the way things have shaken that has put them in a really tricky situation. But I, I don't think he's done anything to warrant not being the guy to sort of shepherd them through it. Um, and so, you know, I think he'll be back. If the question is, I think beyond next season, I, my, my hunch is that he will, and I've always said this, and, and it could happen maybe this winter for all we know. I, I'm not sure, but I, I think he'll remain with the organization and sort of one of these VP kind of, Mm-hmm. director of strategy kind of things, you know, um, where he sort of sets the the roadmap, so to speak, of, of, of the type of franchise they're going to be, you know, the Mets way of, of doing things. And then it's going to be up to, say, John Rico and Ricciardi and some of these guys that are in the front office to execute it and be the GM and make the deals and, and do the work. I could see that structure happening as early as this winter, but my guess is it'll be, you know, next year or the year after that, because Sandy's a prideful guy and, like, he's pretty humble when he talks, but he's also, you know, he loves competition. He loves to win. And I, I can't see him wanting to go out, you know, with 90 losses or whatever they're probably on, on pace to do. I, my guess is he wants to get this thing righted in the standings uh, before he steps aside or, or moves upstairs, so to speak. Yeah. And you mentioned the injuries and I know you did a piece on it uh, for Mets blog a few days ago. I mean, it is, it is as frustrating as it gets. I mean, everyone, the only guys I think are Blevins and DeGrom have been on the team all year and not hurt. Uh, is it? I mean, obviously everyone's like, let's point the finger at Ray Ramirez. It's hard to see him back just because of the fact that everyone has been hurt. I mean, but do you point the finger at Ray? I mean, where, where do you point it? I don't. I think it actually starts upstairs. Like, I think it's part ownership, and I think it's part communication just as a general way that they've evolved, you know, over the course of 15, 10, 15 years with a lot of the same people in the mix and the lower levels and in the training staff. Individually, they're all really good. They're all very well respected around the game. Hospital for special surgery, all the doctors the Mets deal with. Other teams send their players to those doctors. It just so happens the Mets have an exclusive deal with them. Uh, when it comes to, you know, certain stuff. So, I mean, it, it, the, the training staff, Ray Ramirez, I, you know, we goof on him, but the fact of the matter is all around the game, people love him. They think he's terrific. They ask him to come be the, the guy for the all-star team or, or the whatever. Like, that's just, they're, they're well-regarded. The issue has been, I think, my contention, just from listening to people and talking with guys, that they don't communicate well and that, falls on Ray and that falls on ownership and that falls on Alderson and the players and the coaches and the guys in the minor leagues and the and Barwitz and all these people. I think they're doing things that are very uh, aggressive and, and in some cases individualistically smart. But, you know, when Noah Syndergaard goes and puts on 20 pounds of muscle, is that best for him mechanically as a, as a pitcher? You know, you got to bring in Worthen. You got to bring in the medical team, you got, it can't just be Syndergaard and Barwis or Syndergaard and his nutritionist. And I think that is something where the game has evolved, that they have, the Mets have not evolved with them. And, and I think they've started to make those changes. You saw it recently um, with Syndergaard. He was supposed to throw a live bullpen session. You know, he was not confident. They brought everybody together, something they never did before. And 
determined, you know what, let's wait a week. Let's give it another couple weeks. Let's do this. Let's do this more systematically. And, and why rush it, right? They're not in contention. There's no need to rush them back. Let's go slow with it. And that's something I think would not have happened two months ago, uh, let alone a couple years ago. And the reason for that, I think, is ownership. I, my suspicion is there's pressure to get Sessions back, get Syndergaard back. We have tickets to sell. We have games to win. We're on a plane here. We can't lose momentum. And whether that's a, an edict or a mandate or just, you know, a, uh, you know, an understood pressure just to sort of deliver and perform, I think those two things have converged to cause a lot of, of the chaos and, and miscommunication and just, from our point of view, pain of having to get our hopes up and only have them pass from a guy like Conforto, who, you know, he's an MVP candidate potentially, an all-star, no doubt, maybe out for half of next season. Ugh. I mean, I could. I don't know if you're allowed to curse on this podcast, but I mean, it just it makes you, my blood boil. You can, you can curse. Let, let it out. out. Like it's brutal. <laughs> it's bullshit that he's yeah. going to be like I. You know, as a fan who sits on my couch and pays money to go to a game, like I want to watch Michael Conforto. Like I want mm. the Mets to win, but I also want to watch great players perform at a high level. And when this type of stuff is happening all the time, and I'm robbed of that experience, it makes watching the game less fun. And like that's something that the sport in general needs to contend with the Mets specifically because it's just exhausting. And so um, if, if all these guys are on the same page and ownership and everybody, everybody's working together, I, I think we're going to see a lot of this get reduced over the next few years and, and hopefully it's for the better. Yeah, it is bullshit indeed. And even, <laughs> I mean, we'll see. I mean, you want to watch Dominic Smith. He struggled. We'll see if he's even part of the fold next year. I think Ahmed Rosario. I think he'll be fine. Yeah, I think he'll be there. I think Rosario will definitely be there. He has shown strides. He's looked good. Um, a lot of question marks, a lot to do in the off season. Quick, uh, we got to run, but quick, tell us about your book and why uh, Mets fans yeah. should get it. You know, it uh, it started out as a bucket list, which it, it is, but ultimately, I think it comes down to forty four mini, like eight hundred, one thousand word essays about all the little stuff, the parts and pieces, stats, games, experiences, food, moments, books, music, everything that makes up being a Mets fan. The pain the successes, the drama, the fun, all of it uh, in, in really a short 200-page span of, of these little digestible bits and bites uh, that if you know my writing for Mets Blog is kind of my wheelhouse. And so to get an opportunity to write about all these little things that aren't news and rumor like I do every day, but to get to talk about the 1986 Year to Remember video and, you know, the Get Mesmerized song and, you know, the different food options at, at City Field and all these different things, you know, the history of Mr. Met and, and the, the behind-the-scenes tour of the ballpark, whatever it is, um, all these little things, Mets Twitter, LOL Mets, all this stuff that make up being a Mets fan, that's essentially what the book comes down to. And you could run through the bucket list and complete them all, but my guess is most, most people have. And I think it's just a good opportunity to kind of go through it and, and remind people, even if you're not a Mets fan, if you're a spouse or a loved one or whatever, give it to them because it might help them understand why we're so crazy in the way we are. We are crazy indeed. And I will say personally, my favorite <laughs> food at City Field is the steak fries upstairs. Right. Uh, those are definitely my number one. Go get the book, New York Mets fans. Bucket list, follow Matt on Twitter at Matthew Cerrone. Matt, good talking to you again, man. And, uh, Good luck this last month. I'm just praying they call up Tebow. I just want to see some Tebow. That's it. Yeah, you know what? They could call up Tebow, and no, no one. And just, I, it would be, it would be fine with me if they just put everybody on the DL and just save it. Like, <laughs> that would be fine too. Like, just let's not let's not lose anybody else for next year. Let's how about that? Would that yeah. be a win? That would be a win. That's a win for us. Yeah, I'll take it. All right, Matt. Take care. <laughs>
Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. 